Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. I'm going to invite, actually, uh, Heather back up onto the stage, as well as uh, the other members of our Malawi missions team up to the stage here. So as Heather just mentioned a minute ago with our giving, uh, that in our budget, 10% of our church budget goes back out into supporting church planting and missions around the world. And we take missions very seriously because the scriptures teach about the gospel, taking it to the ends of the earth. And so um, part of what we do to support missions is by participating as individuals. And so uh, we've been talking about it for a long time, really excited because this week, uh, our church missions team is heading to Malawi, Africa for uh, the Signs and Wonders Festival that's going to be taking place. They're leaving this Thursday, I believe, and then won't return until the 27th. And so they're going to be, uh, for the next two weeks, going to be serving in uh, in Africa, in Malawi. They'll be, throughout the week, uh, that they're, the two weeks they're there, they're going to be doing outreaches in the streets. They're also part of SOS Aid, so all of the, the donations and the supplies that you guys have brought, there's a team of, I think, 150, maybe 200 individuals from churches all over the world going to Malawi, and they are all bringing supplies uh, of shoes and donations of like uh, dental supplies and school supplies, all these types of things to be reaching uh, people who are in poverty who don't have any of those. And then at the same time, they're going to be preaching the gospel, the name of Jesus, uh, to the tribal people who have never heard the name of Jesus, and uh, and then all of it coming together in one big festival where uh, they're going to be preaching to thousands and thousands of people. It's going to be an incredible trip. And so what they're leaving, and so what we want to do is just take a few minutes, uh, a moment this morning to just pray for them. We want to be a sending church, right? If you can't go on this trip, then the next best thing is to send them in prayer, right? And to be covering them in prayer over the next couple of weeks. And we're going to be giving as many updates as we possibly can uh, on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, cell service is a little bit spotty over there. Uh, we did some research, so it might be tough, but we're going to get as much updates as we can. So be looking at our Facebook feed. Be looking at our Instagram feed uh, for those updates as we come along, and I will share anything that I can. But let's be praying for them together as a church. But first, let's do that. Let's start it off right now. So if you wouldn't mind, I'm going to pray for them. But if you would join me in prayer and uh, just, you know, let's link our hearts together and just believe in faith that God God is going to use this team and the rest of the team from other churches around the world to, uh, to just do incredible work. So let's do that and pray this morning together. Father, I thank you so much for this team of missionaries who are going uh, to Africa. God, I pray that, that not only would the four of our team right here today, there are two others who are not represented this morning from our church, and there are a hundred more, maybe even more than that, from different churches in, uh, around Pittsburgh and other parts of the country and even other countries who are all going to Malawi, Africa this week week. God, I pray for traveling mercies that you would keep them safe as they fly, as they travel. And Lord, as they are on the ground in Malawi, that you would direct them to the people who need you the most. God, whether it's people who are hungry, people who are sick, people who are uh, in poverty, who need you know the actual donation supplies, but also those who are spiritually broken. God, those who are held in bondage, that you would set them free. That throughout the week uh, leading up to the festival, that you would direct the teams, each of the teams, to different locations strategically around 
around the city for those uh, city outreach moments that would that would build buzz for the festival, God. That you would that you would help people to hear the name of Jesus. Let them be excited for what is coming. That they would be curious and that they would be drawn to the festival. And when they arrive there, Father, I pray that the message of Jesus Christ would be declared in power and in authority. We pray that you would fill each one of these individuals uh, who are going there, Lord, with your with your words. That you would give them courage to speak. That they would be great messengers of the of the gospel of Jesus. That many people would be saved. We pray that many people, thousands, would be added to the to the kingdom, to your family, God. We pray for the sick to be healed. That those who are uh, who have who have broken legs, those who are lame, who are paralyzed, those who are blind, those who are deaf, God. That whatever they might deal with, those who have cancer, uh, you know, any kind of, of tumors, Lord, whatever it might be, we pray in Jesus' name that through these people that they would be healed of those things and that they would see that you are alive, that you are still active, that you still work, that you are the true God, that, that, that whatever they worship there, they would see that it is a lie and instead that you have created them to know you. And I pray for salvation, Lord, that people would be open to the gospel, that you would protect them, God, as they speak, that people who are frustrated or angry with, the, with them coming to their city, you would protect them against any attacks or anything that anyone who would try to thwart their mission, that you would protect them, Lord, and that you would give them favor. We just support them. We pray over them and ask that they would have a wonderful time, have a blast serving you, that they would come back with incredible stories, wonderful stories of how you have changed lives there and how you've changed their lives. They, they would come home and tell those stories and that you would use us in the future, our church, Encounter Church, to go to even more places and to, to do that even in our own city. We thank you for it. We ask that you would do incredible things through this team in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We love you guys. Thank you so much for coming up today. Uh, Yeah, we're excited to hear the stories that are going to happen in the next couple of weeks in Malawi. So stay tuned for that. All right. Well, good morning, guys. Uh, Today we are continuing our message series that we just started last week called Created. It is a series that we are going to be throughout the entire summer where we're going to be going through the book of Genesis, taking it chapter by chapter and section by section and exploring the overall story of Genesis and, and what is it that God created us for? Who are we? Who is God? These are the questions we're asking. How do we relate to him? And so at the same time, our children uh, in our children's ministry and EC Kids are going through a series called Stories in Genesis where they're exploring the similar stories and going on the same track. And I'm excited for what we're going to learn because I believe that this book, the starting point of the Bible, Genesis, is not just a book of like history or a, a lesson of where we came from that really... It's really all about who we are and who God created us to be and, and, and who God is and how he wants us to know him and interact with him and his involvement in human history. And so really the foundations of who we are as Christians and what we believe really starts in the book of Genesis. And we talked last week about a couple goals that we have for this summer. The first is that we want to get a stronger understanding of the origins of biblical concepts. And today's message particularly is a big piece of that, of what it is to to be of understanding why the gospel is so important. Number two is to get a clearer picture of who God is and what God is like and then also how we can relate. So we're asking that question this month. Why did God create us and what are we created for? What was life meant to be lived like? So all throughout Genesis, 
We want to pay attention to some key words, some key concepts that we're going to see popping up over and over and over again. The first is beginnings and blessings. We're going to see all throughout the book of Genesis, each week we're going to see new things, seeds being planted, new things beginning, but then how those things were meant to be blessings for other people. And then secondly, that God created us for blessings and to be a blessing. That's the theme all throughout Genesis, and we're going to see that. Well, today... I'm sorry, last week we began our series with Genesis 1 and 2 and it was all about the creation story. And the idea of last week was this, is that the creation story shows us God's intention for relationship and blessing. So we saw that right in the beginning that God created humanity and the earth and wanted us to be in relationship to him, to know him, to experience him, and not just him but also with the earth around us. Now this week we're going to continue our story and we're going to see the story of Genesis 3 and 4 and see that God's desire for relationship and for blessing ultimately gets interrupted. And then the effects that it has had all throughout history on humanity. And so we're going to begin reading today in Genesis 3 and talking about the fall of man. And what I would like to say is this. Uh, Normally, I try to make my messages very practical. Uh, I I try to make them uh, very applicable to our lives. And it's not that today is not going to be applicable, but sometimes certain topics are more conceptual, they're more principle-based. And the reason that that we aren't able to kind of make it quite as applicable is because messages like this are foundational for our beliefs. There are some times and some topics where we just have to have to understand the principles and what it means for us as a whole. And today we're going to learn about the fall of man. And it's an incredibly important element that, that everything else in our faith is built off of. And I believe that when we can understand what we're going to read today and explore in Genesis chapters 3 and 4 and the principles that are there, we're going to, I believe that God's going to use that to enlighten the rest of the gospel. And it's going to have a greater impact and a more of a depth in our faith. And so while it might not be do this, do this, do this, it is very much going to be critical for us in understanding so many other pieces of Scripture. So uh, we're going to begin reading in Genesis 3, verse 6. But before we do, I want to give you a little bit of lead up to what's happening. So for the first two chapters of Genesis, uh, it shows God creating this beautiful space for Adam and for Eve, and it it was a place of wholeness, the earth, the whole of earth, and not just the Garden of Eden was a place of wholeness, it was a place of goodness, it was meant for beauty, it was meant for blessing, it was meant to be shared, and so that was where we found it. But chapter 3 begins with a very familiar story. Many of us, even if you've never been in church, have heard this, probably heard the story of uh, Adam and Eve being met by this serpent. And we talked about this several weeks ago in our Heroes and Villains series where we explored the person of the serpent. And so the story begins with the serpent coming along in Genesis 3 and talking to Adam and Eve and essentially saying to them, you know, God told you that you couldn't eat from this tree or this particular fruit because he's just trying to hold you down. He doesn't want you to know the things that he knows. He doesn't want you to be like him. And so the serpent tells this lie, essentially, that that God is trying to keep you under his thumb, that God is trying to make you just be pawns in his game. And so he deceives Adam and Eve to eat this fruit and tempts them and tells them that that if they do eat this forbidden fruit, that they will now suddenly, the wool is going to be pulled off of their eyes and they're going to know something, the secret that God has been hiding from them for so long. This is the story that we're all familiar with. 
that every one of us has probably heard at one point or another. He deceives them into eating the forbidden fruit. And I would say to you is this. Some of you in the room today maybe struggle with this idea of this one moment, this passage right here where you think, like, I can't get past the idea of whether this actually happened or not. And again, as we say every week, as we say all the time, Please read beyond the actual words on the page and see the essence of what is being told here. And this is true for all of us, whether we believe that Scripture in these moments is literal or it's a figurative story. That is not the point of this message. The point of the message is to understand what God is trying to say to us through it. And here's where we're going to go, and I'll say this in just a moment. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, and it'll also be on the screen for you if you... uh, if you would like to read along. Genesis 3, verse 6 says this, The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And I believe that we have an image on the screen for this that that kind of give us an idea of what this might look like. Now, again, I just want to mention, this is the moment where people go, I don't know that that really happened. It makes no sense to me that there's a talking snake in a garden, okay? Like, here's the point. If we get hung up in these spaces of where, whether this specific thing actually happened or not, we will miss what the Bible is trying to teach us, okay? The Bible is trying to paint a picture for us of the significance of this moment, The moment itself, the concept of what happened in this moment, the choice that was made in this moment was a catalyst for the rest of of eternity, for the rest of history. This moment, there were ramifications that we still suffer from today. This is the point of the passage of Scripture. It's not about the fruit. It's not about what kind of a fruit it was. There have been people who have been arguing for centuries over whether it was an apple or a pomegranate or some other item. Who cares? It doesn't matter what the fruit was. What matters ultimately is what it's trying to tell us. The picture it's painting of the condition of what happened in this moment. The brokenness, the ramifications that ultimately came in this space because of it. It's trying to paint a picture. And the entirety of scripture after this moment deals with the aftermath of what happened in this moment. The entirety of Scripture deals with it. The first two chapters describe the the goodness of God's creation, the beauty of it, the blessing of it, and the passing along, right? We talked about how beauty, how, how grace is this concept of passing along something, passing along the goodness. But what we're about to see is the opposite effect of that blessing, the ramifications that immediately begin to manifest in Adam and Eve and ultimately to their children and even down to today, the things that we still struggle with began in this moment. And God called those ramifications a curse. A curse. So here's what I would, what I would say to you. If a blessing is passing along God's goodness, God's blessing, God's design for good things, if that's what blessing is, then a curse is the passing along of the effects of sin. Think of it in that way, because we oftentimes say to ourselves, like, what, what is a blessing and what is a curse? Think of it in that sense. If a blessing is passing along goodness, wholeness, healing, health, beauty, those types of things, passing along those from one to another, then a curse is the opposite effect. When we say things in anger or in frustration or when we wish hurtful or harmful things upon another person, what essentially we're doing is we're passing along the effects of what happened in this moment that lives inside of us, that destroys relationships, and passing it along to others. And we're going to begin to see that. Let's read through 
We're going to read through this passage now, continuing, beginning in verse 7. And before we do, if you're taking notes, write this down. This is kind of the overall picture of the message today, is that the story of the fall shows the insidious and invasive nature of sin. The story of the fall shows the insidious and invasive nature of sin. And this is a topic that a lot of people are uncomfortable with. They don't want to hear about it because people don't like to hear about sin. They like to hear about grace. We like to hear about goodness, right? Who doesn't? Of course, I like to hear about forgiveness and mercy. But grace is nothing without forgiveness. And forgiveness is nothing without sin. Because the whole point of it is that we've been forgiven from something. We've been rescued from something. And we see the picture in Genesis 3 and in 4 of that the thing that we struggle with, that we look around our world, we look everywhere, and we see its, we see its invasiveness. We see its insidious nature living within each of us every day. And we cannot ignore it. And so Scripture deals with it heavily And so we're going to begin seeing the effects of the insidious and invasive nature of sin right in Genesis 3, beginning now in verse 7. And we're going to see the effects and how it shows up in our lives. Verse 7 says this. So immediately after she eats the fruit and Adam eats it, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now the very first effect of the curse that we see is what I would call distortion. Distortion. It immediately says that their eyes were opened and then they all of a sudden were filled with shame. Earlier in the passage, in chapter 2, it ends with them saying they were both naked and they had felt no shame. But now all of a sudden something happened and now they run in for cover and they're hiding and they're putting fig leaves around so that they're covering themselves. Immediately their view of who they were was distorted and shifted. Immediately a distortion came over their eyes, came over their being. It changes the way. Sin changes the way that we see God and changes the way that we see each other. This is distortion. Sin takes us from seeing other people as valuable, as people who are designed to be loved, people who are made in the image of God, and instead changes them to become tools, instead changes them to become commodities, right? That's what sin does. Sin distorts the view of another person. It's, we see through the lens of anger instead of the lens of love and of grace. We see through the lens of how can I get something from someone rather than how can we partner and how can we both benefit. Do you understand? That's the first thing that we see immediately is their viewpoint of each other and their relationship with God immediately shifts and they change. That's the first idea. Sin distorts value. It distorts identity and it turns people into commodities. It perverts and it deforms what is good and it poisons. Now let's continue reading. In verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This reminds me of Jonah and when he ran from the Lord's presence, right? You can see the effects of sin. Verse 9, so the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? Which, by the way, is a picture of our God. Even when we are running from him, he calls out to us. He never leaves us. I love that. Where are you? And so Adam said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God says, who told you that you were naked? Did you 
eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man replied, the woman you gave to me, be with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So not only do we see distortion, the next thing that we see, the effect of the curse of sin in our life, is now we see division. Immediately, immediately after they eat this fruit, sin, what does it do? It first distorts their view and immediately, oh, I'm being blamed for something. Now I'm going to put the pressure on another individual. It immediately divides. It becomes me versus you. It becomes us versus them. Well, the woman, she made me do it, right? We see this all the time in marriages. We see this all the time in relationships with our children, right? When we do something wrong, we don't want to pay the penalty for it. We don't want to be the one on the chopping block for it. So we look to put someone else there to take away from ourselves. We look for places to divide lines. Sin does that. Sin divides us from other people. God is a God of reconciliation. God is a God of bringing together, a God of healing and of wholeness. But what separates us from him is the decision of sin in our life that grows within us, that insidious, invasive thing that begins to spread. Look at the lines across, across our culture, across our world. Right? Look at the delineations between social classes. Look at the delineations amongst, amongst uh, socioeconomics. Look at the delineation among races, among genders that we see. How much are people fighting? We have a Me Too movement, right? We have people standing up and protesting against, against uh, sexual discrimination, against uh, racial discrimination. We see people, uh, genocides taking place in other nations, right? We see the same thing in our own country with Native Americans being put into their own little plots of land, right? Division happens everywhere. It happens in our own families. It happens in our own workplaces. We are all susceptible to the nature of sin, wanting to create lines between people, building bridges or or breaking down bridges and building walls to protect what we believe is ours and ultimately better me than you, right? That's the idea I would rather myself have. I'm sure, I mean, I don't mean to like have you not have something, but if it comes down to you or me, I'm going to pick myself. And that's what we see here. It immediately draws lines, labels, blames, categories, Ultimately, separation from God or from others. That's what it did. The first moment it said that, that they ran and they hid from God. The first thing that happened after they ate the fruit was that they were now separated. Even they didn't want to be separated from God. They felt an inherent, I can't be around him. I'm not worthy anymore. That's distortion and division happening in the exact moment. Boom, right away. That's what sin does. It distorts our view of who God is. It distorts the view of other people, and it divides us from each other and keeps us separated from God. Verse 13 picks up, so the Lord God asked the woman, well, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now, right there, we see distortion, we see division, and now we see deception. We see deception. The serpent deceived me. We are so easily enticed and so easily deceived in our world. You know, I'm not going to get a show of hands, but I would pretty much guess that 100% of us in the room would raise our hand if I asked the question, how many of us have ever done something wrong that we knew was wrong? I would raise my hand. It happens to me all the time, and I hate it. Even the Apostle Paul in the Scriptures in the New Testament shares this very, this very concept. He's honest when he's writing. 
And he, it's in Romans. And he says, he says, why do I do the things that I know I shouldn't do? And why do I struggle so hard to do the things that I want to do and end up doing what I don't want to? I know it sounds like a tongue twister, but essentially the idea is we all resonate with this. I know what's right. And I know what's wrong. And a lot of the times I don't do what's right and I do do what's wrong. And I feel frustrated. And then in the end of the day, we feel guilty. And we feel full of shame. And it's because we're deceived. Even in that moment, right? If, guys, if you've ever struggled with like pornography, right? Or something, or maybe gambling. Like in those moments before, just before you, you, you fall into temptation, those moments where you're like, no, I don't. This is wrong. I know I don't want to. This is not what I was created for. Whatever it might be. And women, you're, you're in the same boat. You don't struggle, not struggle with those things either. Whatever it might be in your life that you know, just before you lead into that space, when you give into that temptation, right? Just before that moment, you're like, this isn't right. And then we give into it, and then we feel the effects of shame and guilt weighing on us afterwards. That's the result of deception. Even in a moment, small deception, we believe this isn't as bad. Or we completely blind ourselves, or we ignore it. It happens to us all the time, and we see that. That they bought into the lie that God isn't a good God, right? Adam and Eve were deceived that there was something else waiting for them that they should have had access to, that God's not a good person, that he just wants to hold them under their thumb, and people still believe that today. We, as Christians, still hold on to that same idea. When we struggle, right, when we go through frustrations, when God hasn't shown up yet, there's part of us that still wonders, God, is he really good? Is he really going to answer my prayer? right? We are tempted to believe that maybe God isn't who he said he really is, and that is sin's deception still working in our hearts. We see it in our own lives, guys. Distorted views of each other, distorted views of who God is and how he behaves, division amongst ourselves and amongst between us and God that keep us separated from a God who loves us. Deception, we deceive other people, again, to get what we want. We, 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 we change the scenarios, we manipulate, we influence other people. And none of us are immune to it, right? We do it in our marriages. We do it with our brothers and our sisters. We kind of, you know, change the angle a little bit so that things work out in our favor or so that we can get what we want. Maybe it's even the smallest of little things that maybe don't seem like a big deal. Like, I want to go here for dinner, so I'll, throughout the day I'm going to kind of put little, little things into play so that people, and that's, I'm not saying that's sinful, but you can see the concept of how we begin to, to manipulate and, and change circumstances around so that we can get what we want. That is deception at its core. You understand? And this is where it comes from. When we begin to change things, when we begin to either believe or help someone else believe something that isn't true or isn't right, white lies are still lies. And ultimately, it divides us and deceives us, and it keeps us from relationships and healing and holding and from blessing. It keeps us from them. And the last piece, so it's distorted. The effects of the curse that immediately took place, we see it immediately, is distortion, we see division, we see deception, and finally we see death. And we're going to continue reading in chapter 4 now in a story that happens after Adam and Eve. Chapter 4 begins in verse 1, and it says this. The man was intimate with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have made a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother, Abel. 
Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. And in the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering and some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? Why do you look so despondent. If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It is, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. Ha ha. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And he said, um, I don't know. Maybe he went to Starbucks. Am I my brother's guardian? Now, we see all four of the principles, the effects of the curse in this story, right? It's not just Adam and Eve. The Bible is painting a picture for us that as soon as sin entered the world, the curse, the effect of sin is now being passed along. Blessing is a passing along of God's goodness, his healing, his holing. Curse is the passing along of the effects of sin. And this is what we see immediately in the children of, of, of Adam and Eve. Any of you who are parents, you see this in your own, your own kids' lives. You don't teach your kids to say the word no. You don't ki- teach your kids to lie. You don't teach them these things. It naturally comes out. This is literally the effect of the curse being passed along from generation to generation. And we see it in this story. We see the distortion in Cain and Abel that somehow what they did is what gave them value. Cain presented an offering, Abel presented an offering, but their heart wasn't in the right place. So God looked at Abel and said, that's awesome, thank you for it. But something was wrong with Cain's offering, and God said, your heart is in the wrong place and didn't accept it. They were dist- he was distorted by this idea that what he does somehow equates his value with God. And that's not what Scripture teaches. And then he gets angry. He's divided between him and his brother right? Division immediately comes in. He lies to God after he kills his own brother and death ultimately is the result of sin. You can see all of it taking place. Everything happens in this story. And then through the rest of Genesis, we're going to see it. And even throughout the rest of all of the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, we will see these same things popping up over and over and over again. It doesn't stop. The good news is, is that God intervenes. He doesn't want to leave us in this place. And so, in fact, in Romans chapter 6, verse 22, it says this, For the wages of sin is death. Thank God it doesn't stop there. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is beautiful. Because just like we sang this morning in our worship time, as we recognize the reality of our lives, frustration, the things that we don't want to do that we end up doing, the struggles, the mistakes that we make, the weight that we hold on our shoulders, right? I believe that this morning that as I've been preaching that God has been speaking to your heart, that he's been 
shining a light on certain things, not in condemnation, because Romans 8 says, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. But he does want to nudge. He does want you to see. Just like with my kids, with my son or my daughter, when they do something wrong, I love them. And I don't speak out of shame or of condemnation. What I do is I say, this thing is unhealthy for you. It's wrong. I don't want this for you. I want better. I want more for you. Because I want you to understand so you can grow and move beyond it. He points it, and I believe that God has been showing you this morning things, areas in your life that you're not measuring up, areas that are are distorted, areas of your life where God is looking at you and he's saying, listen, you have a distorted view of your wife or a distorted view of of your paycheck or a distorted view of your home or your friends or your family or a distorted view of who I am and how I relate to you or a distorted view of your own value or of your own identity. Or maybe it's a division between a relationship that you have left unmended for too long. Or that there is a brokenness in in a relationship, in your marriage, or with your children. Or a brokenness with you and him. A division. Maybe Maybe there's deceptions. Maybe you have lied to someone. Maybe you have been lied to and it hurts you. And it's a wound in your heart. And he's calling that out and he's saying, I want to heal that. Either to, either to repent of that or to move and to tell someone to make it right or to let go of it. So that you're not feeling that pain anymore and that struggle, that suffering anymore. And ultimately, we see that the penalty of sin is death. That God is perfect, God is holy, and he loves us. And so he sent his son Jesus on the cross so that we didn't have to live in death. That we didn't have to ultimately be separated from him. His desire, his goal for every one of us is to be in a relationship with him, to find healing. Because the Bible says that one day he's going to renew the earth. That heaven and earth will be remade and will be restored back to what the beginning was designed to be like. That's what's waiting for us. And so he gave Jesus ultimately for us so that we don't have to perish. John 3.16 says that. For God so loved the world that he gave, he passed along the goodness of his own son so that no one would perish, that all who believed in him would be saved. That's the beauty of the gospel. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, I know that this message is heavy. I know that this message is, is, feels like a downer, right? Like, man, Pastor Jared, can you talk to me about some practical steps of how I can save my marriage or how I can get more of God's favor or blessing? And I love those messages because God's word is full of messages about how to live in blessing and in in prosperity of who God is and what he wants for our lives. But I, I want you to understand the foundation of the gospel is an understanding of sin and its effect in our lives And how ultimately, without Jesus Christ, we can't experience the favor and the blessing and the wholeness and the healing and the the redemption of God and the salvation of him. We can't have that no matter how good we act, no matter how nice we are, sin has to be dealt with. That's, That's what scripture teaches. And I think that there are some of us in the room who struggle with their faith because maybe there is not an understanding of the ramification of how serious sin is in our lives. A lot of people don't like it when pastors get up and talk about the seriousness 
and the destruction of sin because we don't like to hear that somehow we are guilty. But that's what scripture teaches. And those people who receive it, who accept the fact for their own sin, understand that, it is, that they've made mistakes, that they've done things wrong, and no matter how good they are, there is nothing that can save them without Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden grace, mercy, forgiveness become an incredible gift. When you see people weeping at altars saying yes to Jesus, it's not because of some, some, some magical formula. It's because there was a realization of how depraved they truly are alone. How there is nothing that could get them to a good place, get them to a relationship with the God who loves us, who gave everything for us. And I just want to challenge you this morning to understand and to recognize the ramifications, the insidious and invasive nature of sin, that without Jesus Christ, there is no hope for any of us. Then you can begin a relationship with Jesus today. I want you to know that the Bible makes it clear, though, that you have to be willing to repent. You have to acknowledge his forgiveness, his goodness, his grace. We have to become different people. And he does that when we say yes to him. Would you stand with me? We're going to close real quickly with a couple practical points. What do we do with this information? What do we do with this information? Real quickly, we already kind of touched on number one. Be aware of your own sinful nature. Scripture teaches over and over again that this is reality. We deal with this. We struggle with it. We cannot ignore it. We must acknowledge it. But number two, the next step that Scripture teaches is to repent. And the word repent literally means to turn away, 180 degrees away from. So repentance means recognizing and having a contrite heart about that and turning away from sin. And so the rest of Scripture is really all about how do we do that? How do we move away from the things that have trapped us and bound us and kept us separated and ultimately seeing Jesus and learning from him and applying his principles in our lives, which allows us to find healing, wholeness, and all of those, the reality of salvation. And then number three, choose blessing over cursing. Choose blessing over cursing. Choose to pass along God's goodness. Choose to pass along what he offers to us. Choose to participate and partner with him in passing it along. And instead, making choices against passing along the effects of sin. You know what it's like when you throw a rock or a pebble into water. The ripple effect. When I choose selfishness, it affects the people around me. And instead, let's choose to throw a pebble of blessing rather than the pebbles or rocks of of our sinful nature. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus. I thank you that you did not leave us alone in sin, that you did not just leave us here. I thank you that we have been rescued and that salvation is available to every one of us just by believing on the name of Jesus and turning from our sin. It is a struggle every day, and I'm thankful for your overflowing grace that every day there is forgiveness available. I thank you, God, that there is grace available every single day. That like Dylan said in our worship piece this morning, that, that even for the inevitable mistakes and sin that I will continue to live, that your blood on the cross, your sacrifice, your willingness is what paid for all of it so that for all time we just turn to you and we will receive your grace and your blessing and your mercy. And now help us, Lord, to return to you. Help us to pass on goodness and blessing and healing to other people. 
to show people a glimpse of what creation was meant to be like. Let us live our lives fully exposed to people so they can see how you're working in us. And if there's anyone in the room today who wants to say, you know what, I never understood the ramifications of sin in my life before today. God has opened my heart and my eyes to see the impact that Jesus has made to release me from all of these effects of the curse in our lives. I just want to give you a chance to say yes or to reaffirm this morning, to say yes to Jesus. We're going to just pray together. And if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus for the first time or to recommit your life to him today, just repeat after me. Let's all together this morning say, I choose you, Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. I choose you. Give me your grace. I need forgiveness. I need healing. I need life. I believe you are who you say you are. Come into my life. Make me a new creation. I will walk with you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to just sing one last song together to just declare. This is a moment of response together. It's, let's just take a moment. Whatever God has said to your heart, if he's, if he's been exposing maybe sin in your life, just as you sing these songs, repent of those things. Maybe he's reminding you of his goodness or his grace or mercy in your life. Receive it this morning. Just tell him. Let's make these lyrics to the songs our own heart, our prayer today. And we'll close in just a moment. Let's sing together. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.